praise God. It is Resurrection Sunday. Resurrection Sunday. Did you know that today people are waking up around the world or they're still asleep, but, but over a couple of billion people are gathering in the name of Jesus. Celebrating the resurrection. Without the resurrection, there will be no church. And yet we're celebrating this Jewish carpenter that went public for three years, and yet a third of the world populations come together and celebrate in his name. Jesus. Who is this Jesus? Have you ever asked those questions? I remember when I began my journey, my, my faith journey. I remember thinking, you know, I need to become a Christian. I need to change the way that I'm living, the path that I'm on. It's, it's not good. And I remember thinking to myself, I need to become a Christian. But I just didn't know where to start. Anybody ever been there before? You, you knew you should, you should change. You just didn't know where to start. And I was like, well, maybe I should just pray. Maybe I'll just start there. Maybe I'll just start with a prayer. But, but there was a problem. I was thinking, well, who do I pray to? And I, what I did remember, I remembered... I remember maybe from growing up at Sunday school, I remember the, the Ten Commandments, there's only one God. And I was thinking, yeah, there's only one God. And then I started asking this question, that why does everybody worship this Jesus? Well, the Bible says worship only God. I said, so I remember thinking, so you know what, I'm not going to pray to this Jesus, I'm going to pray to you, God. Because I'm going to start this journey and I don't want to start off on the wrong foot. Only to discover that Jesus and God were the same. We're, we're, we're one and the same, and it just blew my mind, and it made all sense at the same time, and, and it's still confusing. For many of us, we still find it confusing this, that, that Jesus is God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, this Holy Trinity. Um, they're they're kind of like, but Jesus is not the Father. The Father is not the Spirit, and all this kind of stuff, but they're one. But they want, and I was like, oh my God. And you know, sometimes even as modern Christians, you know, we, we kind of share this idea that Jesus is God. And we're like, okay, sh- show me the scripture where Jesus announces it. And we kind of look in our Bibles and we search the scriptures and we're looking for this, this phrase where Jesus says, we read in the Bible, I am God. I am Yahweh. But we don't, we don't find that phrase anywhere in our Bibles. Um, but however, Jesus does say that he is God, but he says it in a very Jewish way that we have no idea he's saying it. To us, it's kind of like, well, that's kind of subtle. But for Jesus, it wasn't subtle at all. And you know what's really interesting? The, the word Christ and Messiah, the word Christ and Messiah means anointed one. And, and according to the Old Testament, there are, there are two officers as the anointed one. It was the king and it was the high priest. They were the anointed ones. In fact, if you were asked a second temple Jewish person, if you ask them, who is the Messiah? They say, oh, that's easy. They're the son of David. Because sons of God, because David was a son of God, and therefore it was a, the son of God was a royal title. So the sons of God were the sons of David. The Messiah, the anointed one, were the sons of David. In fact, the high priest is also an anointed one. He's a Messiah. He, he's a Christ. Because that's what it meant, this, this whole thing. This is what, what, what it meant. But what's really, really interesting is that that King David writes a poem. And he writes this poem and he starts talking about this other anointed one that precedes him. And I was like, wait a minute, wait, hang on, wait. There's another anointed one, there's another son of God that precedes David. But I thought it was through David came the anointed one. 
But this other one, this kind of mysterious other person that precedes it. In fact, it's the most quoted verse in the New Testament. The most quoted verse by the apostles, even by Jesus himself. And that's found in Psalms chapter 110, verse 1. So we'll just have a look at this, this, this psalm that, that King David writes. And it's just kind of peculiar kind of um, this saying. And this is, this, is, this is what it says, Psalms 110. And here's King David, and he's telling this old story. He says, yeah, this is old. So, you know, one day I heard Yahweh, my God, and he's, and he's talking to my master. And this is what he said. He said, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Sit in my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Then David, King David addresses his master, who is his king, the anointed one. He says, The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, saying, Rule in the midst of your enemies. The anointed one, this, this anointed one, is invited to rule on Yahweh's behalf, to rule on God's behalf. This anointed one, this the, this. This other, other anointed, this other holy one, this other son of God, and it's just mysterious. And he goes on, verse, verse four: The Lord has sworn and will not change His mind. You are a priest forever, and the and the order of Melchizedek. And if you want to know who Melchizedek is, Melchizedek was was this 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 character in in Book of Genesis. And Abraham Abraham um, meets encounters this this character Melchizedek, and he was a king and priest. Because all of a sudden, what we find in the, in the biblical narrative is that this office of the anointed one, this office of the Messiah, it's split in two. You've got the, you've got the, you've, you've got the king and you've got the high priest. But the biblical narrative it was never meant to be split in two. It was meant to be one in the order of Melchizedek. This whole thing of this king and priest. And, and so when you continue on this, this, this poem of, of, of King David, he goes on, verse 4, The Lord has sworn, and he will not change his mind, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So it brings in this, this, this anointed one, this anointed one, this, this, this other son of God, this other Messiah. It's in the order of Melchizedek, bringing these officers back together again. But you know what's really interesting? Jesus never consciously used the phrase Messiah to describe himself. Did you know that? Jesus never used the phrase Messiah. He never called himself the Messiah. He never called himself the Christ. He never consciously used that, that, that phrase to refer to himself as. Do you know what phrase he used? The most common phrase that Jesus used to, ref, to refer to himself, what he called himself. And the phrase was this, son of man. Son of man. Which, is, um, which means the human one. Now, if I was trying to look for a divine title, the Son of Man wouldn't be the one I'd be looking for. Like Son of God, that sounds divine. The Messiah, that sounds divine. But Jesus uses this phrase, he says, I am the Son of Man. The Son of Man, which, is, which doesn't sound very divine at all. So who is this Jesus? Who did Jesus believe he was? What does the resurrection mean for me? What does this mean for me? So the title of my message today is this, The Son of Man. The Son of Man. So let's explore this title, The Son of Man. The human one. The human one. The Son of Man. This is who Jesus refers to himself as. Well, this is what I know for sure. Before I knew Jesus, my life was very beastly. Anybody else life very beastly before you, you met Jesus? Before Jesus transformed your life and set you free? Have you ever been accused of, of something unjustly? Have you ever had anything stolen from you? Have you ever been mistreated in a relationship? Have you ever been abused? 
Man, I once worked with this atheist, and he said, the problem with the world is people. So if we didn't have any people in the world, there would be no more problems. I mean, we just have to flick on the news. And, and, and what we see on the news, we see humanity has become so beastly. That's why Jesus came. This is why we celebrate Easter, the resurrection. As long as you're still breathing, there is hope. See, humanity was supposed to represent God here on earth. We're God, we're made in God's image. We're God's image bearers to be his representatives here on earth. And part of us representing God is a will to subdue the beast until humanity decided for themselves to seize what's right and wrong in our own eyes, what's good and evil. And don't we, we do that all the time. You aren't going to tell me what's right or wrong. I will choose for myself what's right or wrong. And in doing so, we, we decide not to trust God, but trust in ourselves. So instead of subduing the beast, the beast subdues humanity, and humanity becomes like the beast. What's really interesting is that 600 years before Jesus is born, we find that the southern kingdom of Israel, Judah, in captivity, in Babylon, and there we have the prophet Daniel, and he has a vision. And in the vision, he sees four terrible beasts, and they represent the, the empires. And the fourth beast is more terrible. It's like a super beast. And it's trampling on God's people. The super beast is trampling on God's people. Daniel 7, verse, verse 7. Let's read from them. After that, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. See, Daniel is able to see what's really going on. It's like the veil has been lifted, and God gives him a glimpse of what's really going on, that humanity is slaughtering one another. And the super beast is nasty. It's slaughtering everybody, trampling on God's people. Then all of a sudden... All of a sudden, God gives Daniel this vision. He begins, and he sees heaven. And he sees these thrones, plural, meaning there's more than one throne. Verse 9, as I looked, thrones were set in place. And the Ancient of Days, God, Yahweh, took his seat. So now one of these thrones is filled. His clothing was white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool, almost like the shine on my head right now. His throne was, was flaming with fire, and its wheels were ablaze. So, so it's a chariot throne. It's a mobile throne, and it's on fire. What a sight. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Millions of angels ministered to him. Millions stood to attend him. Then the court began its session, and the books were opened. Does this sound familiar? If you're familiar with the book of Revelation... John the Revelator, he riffs a lot of ideas from the book of Daniel. We've got, the, we've got this lake of fire. And here we have in Daniel, we have a river of fire. And if there's a river of fire, there's got to be a lake of fire. And the books were open. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. And I kept looking until the beast 
was slain and its body destroyed, thrown into the blazing fire. So this throne room is meeting earth to bring justice on this horrific, violent history of humanity. And so now it's not, it's not a river of life coming out of the throne, but it's a river of fire to consume human evil. And here's the thing, when humanity acts on our own, when we continue to seize what's, what's right and wrong in our own eyes, when we, when we stop worshiping God and begin worshiping ourselves, trusting in our own, own uh, desires, then we become like the beasts. We be, you just got to take a look at the 20th century. I see this for, uh, a couple of weeks ago. If you're under the age of 21, if you're in this room, you're under the age of 21, or if you're over the age of 21, if you're over the age of 21 in this room, you were born in the bloodiest century ever, the 20th century, where 120 million people were killed at the hand of another human being. Verse 12, in my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man. And here's, here's this phrase, the son of man. Coming with the clouds of heaven. So what's the son of man doing? What's he doing? He's a cloud rider. He's riding a cloud. Oh man, that's pretty cool. Who would like to be a cloud rider? So who would this, it's not only the son of man, this human one, the son of man, this human, now he's riding a cloud. Now what's really interesting, when we read the Hebrew Bible, when we, when we begin to examine our Old Testament, what we discover is that, that four times only Yahweh is referred to as a cloud rider referring to, to, to his sovereignty over creation. Only Yahweh is referred to as the cloud rider. Now this human, this one, this son of man, is now riding this divine symbol, being elevated into a place of glory. What does he do? He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and people of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So now all of a sudden this human being is being worshipped. What's going on here? The Bible says worship only God alone. Absolutely. But now we're worshipping a human. Are we supposed to worship God alone? Absolutely. What does that mean? Absolutely. <laughs> this human being, this, this, this vision that of the Son of Man is God, but distinct from God. That God somehow in the form of a human being. And the vision, when you read this vision in Daniel 7, you see that the, that this, that the, that the Son of Man was trampled by the beast. And now this, this, the Son of Man who was trampled by the beast, God elevates this human from suffering and shares in his divine rule. And he is worshipped as part of God's own identity. So we have the Son of Man. This, 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 this divine being who's human, but he's God, but he's, he's one and the same, but he's, it's this divine, this divine being. And it, gets, and it gets you thinking. In fact, I got the Jewish, the Jewish people of the day of the time of Jesus, they, they were, it got them startled, and they, and, and they debated, what does this actually mean? But you know what's, what's really interesting? If we go to today, Let's, let's just punk there to the side. Let's go to t today. If I say this phrase, 
can you tell me where this phrase is from? Okay, let me, let me say this phrase. Let's see if you know where this phrase is from. I am your father. Is it from the Bible? Was it, was it the, was God saying that to Jesus? Where's that phrase come from? Star Wars. Which, does anybody know which movie? Is there any, 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 real, any real Star Trek fans here? No, Empire Strikes Back, that's right. Who, who said those words? Darth Vader. Oh, look, hey, look, hey. It's good to see you, don't you? Good to see you, mate. Good to see a good Star Wars fan here. Darth Vader, we all know this, right? We know this phrase. How about this phrase? If I say to you, the Dark Knight, what am I referring to? Batman. E.T. phone. Who are you going to call? Oh, I'm, 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 amongst, I'm amongst my peers right now. <laughs> John 3.16. Yeah, okay. See, this is what Jesus was doing when he said, I am the Son of Man. When Jesus said that I am the Son of Man, all of a sudden, boom, they knew exactly what he was saying. They knew, knew exactly where he was placing himself in that story. He was placing himself as the key role in the story of Daniel 7. I am the Son of Man. In fact, it leads into a confrontation between Jesus and the high priest. And Jesus is arrested and he's questioned by the high priest. What's another name for the high priest? Anointed one. So you've got anointed one accusing the anointed one. Matthew 26, verse 59, the chief priest and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they can put him to death. But they did not find any, though many false witnesses came forward. Finally, two came forward and declared, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. And Jesus was talking about his crucifixion and resurrection. Jesus saying, I am the temple. I am the true temple. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, are you going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. High priest said, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus said, I am the dark night. See, when, when Caiaphas, the high priest, he was thinking in terms of a human leader. See, are you claiming to be the true leader of Israel? Are you here to take my spot as the anointed one? How does Jesus answer? He answers with another question. He answers him with a question. You said so, Jesus replied, but he doesn't stop there. But I say to all of you, all of you sitting in the Sanhedrin, this council, 71 members in this council, I say to all 71 of you, you leaders of Israel, From now on, you will see the Son of Man drops that phrase and immediately their minds go to Daniel 7. You see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the, sitting at the right, immediately their mind taking the Psalms 110. Sitting at the right hand of the mighty one coming on the clouds of heaven. You know what, what's ironic about this story? That if but for Jesus to say that he was the son of man is actually more scandalous claim than to say that I'm the son of God. 
If Jesus was to say, I'm the Son of God, or that I'm the Messiah, that's one thing. But to say that He's the Son of Man, that's scandalous. He's quoting both Psalms 110 and Daniel 7. This is a very Jewish way of saying, I am Yahweh. I am God. I am the one who Moses met on Mount Sinai. I am the voice from the burning bush. I am the one that David was talking about in Psalms 110. I was the one who Daniel saw in that vision. I am that cloud rider. But more than that, Jesus is saying to the high priest, and the high priest knew exactly what he was saying. He's saying, you are the beast who is going to trample on the Son of Man. You think you're killing the Son of Man, but actually what you're doing is exalting him up on his divine throne. Verse 16, then the high priest tore his clothes and said, he has spoken blasphemy. I've never been that angry where I tore my clothes. And if I had, something, if I had a brand new shirt, I probably would take it up with an older one and then I'll tear that one. So the high priest turns into Hulk Hogan, tears his shirt. It's another reference. <laughs> Why do we need any more witnesses? Look, now you have heard this blasphemy. This man thinks he's God. See, this is not some future event that Jesus is talking about here. It's not about Jesus has come, oh, you know, the, uh, Jesus is going to come in the future from heaven on a cloud of glory. No, 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 no. It's from earth to heaven. Jesus is saying, this, is, this prophecy has been fulfilled now in your eyes. That I am the Son of Man. The moment you condemn me in this court to death is actually the moment that I'm becoming king of the universe. And from this moment, I'm extending the clouds. See, the gospel authors want us to see that Jesus' crucifixion is depicted as his enthronement as the king. He receives a crown of thorns. He's also given a robe. He's exalted up, not on the throne, but on the cross. See, the cross is not just a symbol of your sin being forgiven, but it's an invitation for you to step into a new way of living, a new humanity. You have the power to overcome the enemy, the beast. Jesus disarmed the beast by raising back to life and resurrecting on Sunday. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. You know, Genesis chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, it describes sin like this. And, it's, and I threw this in because it's, good, it's a good description of what sin is. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do, if you do not do what is right, what's sin doing? Sin... It's crouching at your door. And it desires to have you, but you must rule over. What's sin doing? It's crouching. It's, it's being depicted as a dangerous beast, as a beast ready to crouch and ready to destroy. This beast wants to destroy. It's crouching at your door, and it wants to destroy your marriage. It wants to destroy your dreams. It wants to destroy your ministry. It wants to destroy your hope. It's crouching at your door. But here's the thing. Jesus has disarmed that beast. The devil is a liar anyway. 
He's lied to you for far too long. Who do you think you are? Do you think you, look at you, call yourself a Christian. Look, you've just made that mistake again. You, you think you're, you're, you're any good. You come along on Sunday, but you're, you're just a, you're no different than anybody else. The enemy is a liar. He's been disarmed at the cross. He's crouching at your door and he wants to, to devour you. But Jesus has taken all, Jesus, all authority has been given to me. He's taken the power. The devil is a liar. He crouches at the door and all he does is says lies. But you have the, the ability, the authority to step into new humanity today. We can overcome the beast by love, by forgiving our enemies, by meeting the needs of our community, by being part of God's kingdom right here on earth. Can you imagine what the world would be like if we began to live and model in this way? See, the whole narrative of the Bible, I love this. It's about Jesus, this new exalted human, the new Adam, through whom humanity can now realize the original destiny that was laid out for us in the Garden of Eden. You know, when I was thinking about this, this message, about what does it look like when your life has been transformed, when you've, been far too long, the beast has taken hold of your life. And I was going to share a testimony, but man, this guy came into my, I'm going to invite a good friend of mine, Michael, come on the stage with me. Can I have your microphone? Give Michael a hand. Give me and, and Michael, here, here you go. Michael, I, Michael's got an amazing test. Tell, tell me, what was your life like before you, you come to know Jesus? Well, that song was my life. You know, uh, I'm sick of hiding. I was a master criminal. I changed my name so many times by Depol that now my birth certificate is two pages. Wow. It's two pages because I needed passports. But my journey started from the church. Yeah. The church made me into what I became. Yeah. Uh, when Ants asked me to do this this morning, I had to write it down because there was so much. Come on. But I'll just give you the brief. My story means being judgmental, telling the truth from my view, and is selfishly subjective, as the entire discussion is sullied by my personal human emotions. Here goes, I'll open up my box of snakes. When I was five years old, my mother, who had grown up a staunch Roman Catholic, handed me over to the Catholic Church. She had no options in those days. Her husband, my father, had run into the arms of another woman in Australia and left her high and dry with three kids under five. It was the early 60s, there was no DP, no winds to assist. Notwithstanding, I'd say I was a handful. I can remember begging my mum not to send me away. So you're five years old at this time? Five years old. Five years old at the time. I was begging my mother, please mum, don't send me there. I'd scream at her. Brokenheartedly, she said, Michael, I can't afford you. I cannot feed you. They will take care of you until I get the money to get you back. 
It never happened. I was placed in St. Joseph's Catholic Orphanage in Takapuna. For the next five years, I was abused daily by the church. You read about it in the newspapers and you see the 60-minute stockos, but let me tell you, living it as a child was terrifying. Wow. I wet the bed every night because I was so scared. That made it worse. I tried holding my downstairs as hard as I can, as long as I could, but always woke in a puddle and then another beating. Six years later, out of the blue, a nun came to me and said, I was leaving immediately. I'm now 11. I had no possessions. I was given a brown paper bag with a cheese sandwich taken to the airport and then began my life with my father in Melbourne. So tell us, how, how were you feeling at that time when you, you're now going to Australia? What were you thinking? Oh, this is my salvation? I'm out of this place. I'm out of this place. Yeah, come I'm on. I'm out of this place. But I was, I was rock. I didn't care. Yeah. I couldn't, I just didn't care anymore. 11 years old. 11 years old. Wow. I had a burning desire in my belly to make as much money as I could and how I got it didn't matter. I needed money so I would never be in a place like that again. That's the church. Now I'm pausing my story there. Yes, I judged hard. I was a rock. I hated the church, the nuns, the priests, even the parishioners for being so stupid for believing all that stuff. There was nothing that could change my mind. In my view, anybody that believed in or preached about a kind and loving God was a liar. And in my view, that was a reasonable position. Yeah, wow. So where does that leave me with Jesus' statement, do not judge or you will be judged? In my defence, please consider, imagine putting your child into a position where your child was abused daily for years by the very people who were entrusted to take care of your little Johnny or Julie. How would you judge the church? On the other side, as a result, let's say your child then became a juvenile delinquent and embarked on a life of crime. How would you judge him then? Imagine that child stole your money through deception. And then using that same statement, do not judge me, or you too will be judged. In other words, you don't have the right to tell me I'm wrong. Remember the old favourite? He who hasn't sinned may cast the first stone. Well, that's exactly what happened with me. I embarked on a life of dishonesty and went about my life as a commercial fraudster on an industrial level. When I went to court or when Interpol pulled me back, there was not six reams of charge papers. There were six boxes of charge sheets. The prosecutors said I stole $70 million. I smiled. That wasn't even half of it. I retired to Thailand and lived a life of debauchery until Interpol picked me up off the beach. He brought me back. It was through, it was through, uh, I don't know how I ended up here. 
when I came here, I knew I had to open up to Pastor Rance, but I was so scared he'd chase me around the room with a crucifix and holy water. <laughs> it was in my back pocket, but I thought, <laughs> should, I, should I bring it out now? No, no. I do know how I, I ended up here, but it's the best thing that's ever happened to me. All that money didn't matter. And all I want to do now is help other people. All I want to do is help other people. And if I have to tell them my story, and if that can help, I'm there. Thank you, Pastor. Yeah, come on, give, give Michael a hand. Actually, Mark, you stay here. And, and here's a, you know, um, many people ask me a lot of, of course, what's the greatest thing about being a pastor? And I said, it's the people. And I said, what, what's, what's some of your hardest moments? What do what they, what what they look like? And I, said, I say to them, it's the people. <laughs> and it's because we, we're people. We, we, and you experience some oh, horrific things growing up. And with the church, it's supposed to be a place of safety. But here you are now. And you lived a life where the beast ruled your world. Yes. Yes. That, I worship the beast. Yeah. And so, what's, so what gave you the ability to step out of that? Um, drinking. I, because I was broken, I just wanted to abandon drinking or drugs. That's why I relate to those guys. And I just couldn't stop. I couldn't stop drinking. So I went to AA and I started saying prayers through default. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. That's a prayer. Yeah, so you're just, pray, you're just praying a prayer because they told you to pray a prayer. They told me to pray a prayer? Yeah. And then um, through, the, through the, that community, I got a, one day I just, I felt, got this feeling. I started crying my eyes out. I raced home, fell to the floor, and I said, please God help me. Yeah, well. I can't do it on my own. Just please God help me. Get me out of this. And he did. Wow. And my life is amazing. Wow. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Michael. Let's give him another hand. And, and this, is, this is what I like to say is that, you know, we're going to make mistakes. Even if you're a believer, a follower of Jesus, you're still going to make mistakes. But let me tell you, there's someone who is for you. You know, this is what I say. If you're looking for the perfect church, you haven't found it. This isn't it. This is not the perfect church. But if you're looking for the perfect God, you'll find the perfect God. Because we all make mistakes. I make a lot of mistakes. Just talk to my kids, talk to my wife. (laughs) They'll tell you. But here's the thing. You have been given authority. You've been forgiven. And the enemy's been lying to you for far too long. It's time for you to step into your authority, step into eternal life now and receive your forgiveness. The devil is a liar anyway. So we need to stop believing his lies and begin to live in the new humanity. Come on, let us pray.